More and more, we are realizing the true power community has to lift up the human race in so many ways. We started this show to put the spotlight on community organizations, to highlight their contributions, and to share insights on the importance of community. Every week, tune in as our host, Stu Starkey, helps raise awareness around one of the most important aspects in all of our lives. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Welcome back to the community of Big Hearts, everyone. Uh, this week, we are here with Howard from the Dream Factory. Howard's the executive director. Um, and I'll let him tell his story about how he joined and why uh, coming up here. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit snippet about the Dream Factory. Uh, they are an organization that help kids with life-threatening illnesses. Um, and I love this sentence, Howard. Um, they believe that the kids should experience a feeling of getting carried away. Um, I got carried away thinking about that and, and all the dreams <laughs> that you guys uh, make happen for these kids. So um, first of all, Howard, how are you? I am doing great. I'm really happy to be here, Stu. We're, we're very excited to have you. Anyone who's taking care of our kids in our community the way you guys are, especially in the situation, um, is incredible. Well, thank um, you. Thank you. Would you mind telling us a little bit uh, about the Dream Factory? Well, Stu, I would talk all day about the Dream Factory, so you'll have to cut me off at some point, but uh, more than things to tell you about it. Uh, we were uh, formed in 1983. We're a Manitoba-based charity, uh, something we're quite proud of. All our dream kids are from Manitoba. We serve the province uh, throughout the province. And uh, uh, something that we're pretty excited about because Winnipeg's such a population-dominant part of the province that uh, we actually have about 40% of our dreams come from outside the perimeter. So we're, we're very proud of that too. So we're truly a Manitoba-based, not a Winnipeg-based organization. Uh, we were formed in 1983. And, you know, I could give you a long definition and things like that, but I prefer to keep things simple and because uh, we're working with kids and our job with these kids is to just try to put a smile on their face as they go through some of these most difficult battles a battles a kid should not have to go through and of course the whole family the siblings and the community around them their schools their churches their synagogues their temples they all have to deal with these things so our job is pretty simple or i try to keep it simple and that is to listen to the kids hear what their dream is and try to make that dream come true in the way that they're envisioning it and just put a smile on their face and as you said carry them away from some of the troubles that they're dealing with I, I had, thank you for that, Howard. That was very concise and um, it really painted a good picture of what you guys do and the impact that you have. I have um, some close friends um, out in Alberta who had their kid diagnosed with um, some form of, of lymphoma. And um, it's so sad but also really interesting seeing kids go through something like this as opposed to adults. And in, in my one experience watching this happen, this kid was so resilient. Um, what was so amazing was that he didn't know any different. Um, he didn't you know, feel sorry for himself, um, but he also didn't know because of the, the time that it took and the energy for all his treatments he had to do, he didn't know those big dreams that some kids kind of, like you guys say, get carried away with. 
Um, so I, I would love to hear um, some of your impactful statistics that the Dream Factory has, or more importantly, probably in this case, the stories that you're excited to share. Sure. Yeah, well, in terms of, uh, I will give you a few stats to start off with. We're a growing organization. Uh, just going back, say, five, six years ago, uh, we were doing in the high teens, maybe 20 dreams a year. Uh, and then we grew over the last five years to up until last year, the 2020 year, which obviously then got impacted by pandemic. Uh, we were, we're, were tracing at that year, probably looking at getting up to 35 to 40 dreams. So we're doing a lot of growth. But, you know, the impact of an organization like ours is really, as you say, it's about the impact we have on this family. We're not a numbers driven organization. Like, like if we do 25 dreams one year and post a operating surplus because we had less dreams, uh, that's okay to have a surplus, but we'd rather do 30 dreams and break even. You know what I'm saying? So we're not all about just, you know, numbers and achieving numbers. Uh, we're just about putting those smiles on the kids and everything we do is focused and starts with the kids. So uh, uh, a simple example I'll give you is right now being January, we're starting our planning for the year, both with the board and uh, with the uh, staff on the operating side. We've done, a, you know, obviously some last year uh, coming into this year, but now is when we get into a little bit more detail. And what we start all our planning with is, okay, what do we want to do with dreams this year? How can we make them better? How can we improve the kids' experiences? How can we improve the family's experience? How can we keep them connected with the organization? That's something we've worked a lot with in the last five years. So we've had a lot of growth over the last five years and you know, uh, we're very proud of it. We're very proud of it. We've had a 60% revenue growth. Uh, we've expanded uh, many of our events, our, our auction, which is uh, one of the biggest, it's certainly one of the biggest events, I think is the biggest auction, uh, a charitable auction in Manitoba with over a thousand people. Uh, we've introduced uh, a golf tournament, which uh, doesn't sound that exciting, but this one's pretty special because we've got Josh Morrissey uh, of the Winnipeg Jets, who's our ambassador. He joined us about four or five years ago, who hosts it and an absolutely remarkable community fellow who leads the project and uh, that's helped our, our uh, revenue, but also too, he is so engaged with the kids and that event again is focused around the kids. At the end of the day, I've got a very simple philosophy and it's what we followed as an organization for the last five years is provide better service, have greater impact, do more programs, service, 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 and then the dollars follow. I think a, a mistake sometimes organizations can fall into is they'll ask themselves, well, why aren't we raising more money? Let's raise more money. Absolutely, people wanna raise more money and you need it for your services. I always start at the other end. I said, how, are we, how can we have more impact? What are we doing that's better? How are we growing on the service side? Because the dollars follow. So statistically, we've been growing. We've been growing a number of dreams in terms of revenue. Uh, our costs have gone up because we're doing more dreams and that's something we want to happen. Our admin costs have flatlined basically during that period. So we're very happy uh, where we are right now. Of course, once the pandemic hit, it changed things. And uh, you know we're, we're getting through this like everybody else is. And we moved to virtual dreams and uh, virtual fundraising. So it's been a very challenging time, but uh, the Dream Factory has a deep passion of staff and volunteers 
and we're getting through. I, I love that uh, philosophy and that focus on service. It makes a ton of sense. Um, however, I think most, as I think you're pointing out, lose sight of what really does drive those donation dollars in the long term, which is um, creating your experience um, that people support. Um, whether it's a charity or a business, it, it starts with servicing your clients um, and everything else follows, like you say, the dollars. And, and so is that what you attribute then the 60% you know, the growth to is just a great service? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's we're impacting more people and the more impact. I think we've also done a better job in the last few years of, of self-promotion, of getting our name out there. Uh, the brand we have, and I'm obviously a little bit biased, but the, I think the brand we have is absolutely remarkable. Uh, you know, if someone's listening right now, they can't see it. But the, uh, the if you go to our website, thedreamfactory.ca, you'll see the branding. It's just outstanding. The color schemes, the incorporation of kids, it catches the playfulness of child, of being a child and having a dream. And so what we've done is we've really tried to share that with more and more people. So we've been more aggressive on social media, uh, but also to just uh, letting people know uh, that we're here and we wanna do more dreams. And so as more kids are coming to us and we're doing more dreams, again, it, it just uh, generates energy and, and positive uh, energy around these dreams and then supporters are rallying around that uh, so yeah that's kind of it's it's definitely the focus on uh, service and not just service of the uh, dream factories which is obviously central to our mandate but also servicing our donors and communicating with our donors like we've improved all our things such as newsletter and uh, more communications with the donors and and actually associating dreams more directly dream kids with major donors and even uh, bringing donors together to help make dreams happen and things like that and meet the families and get out there so it's it, you know you, as you know in business you can never really attribute it just to one thing but it's more just that mentality of continuous improvement continuous growth there's no silver bullet in fundraising and so it's just hard work and steady but it doesn't even feel like hard work when you know, and uh, I could tell you when a kid comes back from their trip to Disney, I'll tell you one story that would, it, would be a good example of why it's not hard work. We had one little girl went to Disney. Sometimes they do their dreams uh, once they're through their treatment. Sometimes they do it right in the middle of treatments. Depending how sick the child is, it can impact when they do their dream. This little girl who was about six at the time, she went down to a, the Disney dream which we do about probably 30 or 40% of our dreams a year. So if, say we do 30 dreams, we'd probably do like 14 of them would be Disney ballpark. And so she went down there and had the week of her life. And they also stay at a place called Make, uh, Give Kids the World, which is just this magical place for sick kids. It's, it's a, a little miracle place down there that they stay at. So they do that, they do Disney, and they come back walking on air. And as you mentioned earlier, kids are so resilient and we hear so many stories of these kids who are battling just brutal brutal treatments and diseases go down and, and are just uplifted for that week and they come mm. back and that's what makes our work so worthwhile when we hear those stories and this little girl 
she still had to continue her treatments. So she had to go for some very difficult treatments, painful treatments at times. And so what she would do, and it just makes our work so meaningful here, she would gather up all her stuffed uh, toys and things she got when she was down in Disney and bring them with her when she had to go for painful treatment. And she'd wrap them all around her and put them all around her because they helped her get through the treatment and that helped carry her back to the impact the dream had uh, on her. So that's the kind of thing that makes us uh, really proud to work hard. But at the end of the day, when you're doing something to help a little girl like that, like I said, it, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like purpose. Hmm. Um, I was sitting uh, here with goosebumps listening to your stories. And then I, I'm, I'm flipping through my questions as I'm listening to you talk, Howard. And, and you basically summed up answering the list of the well, most of the remaining questions you, you did you did sorry, so good it, it's a it, this is a one-way interview <laughs> um the howard it, it's uh, really great to to listen to an organization like yours that that's um so needed here that you're growing when many others are shrinking in the in the charity um and and philanthropy uh, funds uh acquisition um so Obviously, you guys are doing a great job, um, and you sound like an amazing leader. How did you decide to join the Dream Factory, and why? Well, I've, I've worked in community service my whole life. I basically, uh, I started out as a Red Cross worker originally, and then uh, I, I've, I've worked a few places around the city. I worked at Winnipeg Art Gallery, but prior to joining the uh, uh, the Dream Factory, I was the executive director for Parkinson Society, Manitoba. And I had a very exciting, great eight years there working with them. Uh, but I was ready for a change at that point. Uh, you know, I had accomplished quite a bit and the organization had grown a lot of, uh, we had a great success period there as well too. And I heard this job came up and, you know, honestly, you think I would remember Steve, but I can't remember. I think they may have actually contacted me, but I can't remember how the whole thing started. Uh, I maybe saw the ad, I can't remember now. Uh, but basically what it came down to is all the things we just talked about mandate and the opportunity to work with sick kids and help their families and help them deal with things. And a lot of the work I dealt with at Parkinson's actually translated because I was dealing with people who were dealing with a difficult disease there. Now I was obviously working with primarily an older population. Uh, one of the stereotypes of misunderstandings with Parkinson's is just old people get it. That's not true. There's young onset. So I was dealing with different age groups there, but I was ready for change. And, and one of the things I had also experienced at Parkinson's, which was difficult uh, because I work at these kind of jobs because I care about the people. I care about our community. And so I care about the people I'm working with and the people, our clients and the people around. And at Parkinson's, what was starting to happen is I, because I was eight, eight, there eight years, I had ex just gone through so many, watched people go through so many difficult times. Uh, it was it was just becoming, it takes a lot out of you. I'll put it that way. It takes a lot out of you. And sometimes you just need to refresh. And it's good for the organization to get, you know, fresh legs in there and a new direction sometimes and new energy at the uh, executive director level. So the opportunity was there for change. And then I heard of this job and I went from, like I say, working with older people for, and then a chance to work with kids. And when I entered the, the whole nonprofit sector eons ago, it feels like now, 
I joined it with one of the ideas would be working with kids. And I hadn't really done that so directly. So this opened up that door, but I also saw opportunity. I saw an organization that was doing wonderful work, but had potential to do more. And also a lot of people didn't know about the Dream Factory. There's still some that don't, but a lot more do know about it now than when I started five years ago. So it was the, a combination of challenge, opportunity, a chance to work with these sick kids and uh, bring that all together. So that's what drew me to the Dream Factory. Since you're so great at uh, being concise and, and delivering why Dream Factory and, and your involvement, I, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper here for the listeners. So Community of Big Hearts, our mission is trying to make our communities better by having these types of conversations to inspire more businesses to get involved or more people uh, to get involved with leading organizations. And so, I mean, it sounds like you chose a long time ago to get involved in, in non, non-for-profit. Is there any anything else we can talk about in terms of what inspired you to go down this route initially? Uh, not necessarily for Dream Factory, but but uh, nonprofit um, in general. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, well. I covered some of it. There it was just that uh, I just felt the need. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't quite explain why you you got to do something. You just know you got to do it. Like I'm I'm thinking of you know with your company. I think one day you just figured I'm going to start this company and we're going to do it. You know, and, and, and sometimes you don't 100% know why, like, you know, you need a job and you need an income and things like that. Of course, that's in the mix and as well for me. But for me, I just had this sense that that's, that was my purpose. And I'm not saying I'm changing the world or I'm anything special. You know, there's lots of people doing the kind of work I, I do and lots of people doing it better than I do it. I just do my best that I can every day. But it was, yeah, just being drawn into combining uh, like I guess as I'm talking I'm thinking here Stu I'll I'll give you a better explanation I like to combine two things I like to combine a business approach to running an organization with care and sometimes that's difficult sometimes people are too much caring they can't bring the business in some people are too business and they don't bring the care in and I I guess fortunately have that balance I about halfway through my career I, I came into it with the care part. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't have, I would say, the all the business training I needed. Like I studied recreation studies. I didn't really study budgets and, and the whole operating side of, of, of a business. And so I went back and did my MBA. And when I did my MBA, again, I, I didn't do it because, oh, I wanted to make X dollars more a year. I just want to do better at whatever it was I was doing. And, and for some reason, again, I don't know why, I can't really specify it. I wanted to have a master's degree. I just knew I wanted to. So wh- at that point, when I finished my MBA, it was really at a crossroads because at that point, I had a lot of contacts in the city. I could have probably fairly easily moved into the private sector at that point. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like I... Uh, think too highly of myself maybe there was no one at the private sector looking for me but I think there would have been some opportunities perhaps but at that point it was a crossroads because I just finished an MBA which is a very businessy sort of environment to be in you're thinking like a business person and I'm like okay should I go into that and then in my heart of hearts uh, my wife one day actually made a comment and just said well what is it you'd want to sell or what would you want to do and I couldn't answer that question. And it, it clarified it for me that 
I just want to help people. And, but I want to do it in a way that brings in that business sense, that, that understanding of you can be a well-managed, highly organized organization, and it's going to help the caring side. So it was just that bringing those two things together uh, fit so well for me. And, I, you know, sometimes, and I consider myself very fortunate that, like, the kind of jobs I've had are just, you know, they have difficult periods. Like, my current job, I've had to deal with more difficult things than I ever imagined I ever would in a career. Uh, certainly not as difficult as what the families are dealing with, but I've, you know, been on a periphery of some of the things they've had to deal with. Uh, but I've been very fortunate to be born a generalist, I guess. And so being a generalist really fits well to being an executive director. A balance between the care and the business comes naturally to me. So yeah, it just kind of came together and it just fits. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm just very fortunate. I, I try not to overanalyze it either, but I'm just, yeah, I consider myself very fortunate to have, of, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in life, life like anyone, but selecting this career path is one thing I got right. That was very insightful. I really appreciate that that share, and hopefully the listeners do as well. I, I love that you you found your purpose, and that you had the courage to follow it. That was very inspiring. Was there any moment? I think last question, kind of going down this path. But was there any moments where you had you know fear about making this decision? And I asked that because I think I talked to so many people about volunteering in the community and. And basically everyone that I talked to says, yeah, I'd love to, but I just don't know what I do, or I don't know like if I have the skills to do it, or I don't know if I have the time. Um, there, there seems to be something holding them back. I think a lot of the times it's that uncertainty or fear. Was there anything like that for you that you had to overcome to make this decision? Sure. Well, like I said, I had a bit of that, a period of reckoning after I did my MBA and thinking about it. And one of the big reasons is, and you know, it's not something people would generally be comfortable talking about, but I'm quite comfortable talking about it. It's got to do with the money, you know, how much you get paid in the nonprofit sector versus the private sector. And when I was having that reckoning, I know I made the decision to go into the nonprofit sector that I was going to leave money on the table. And that's not easy to do, you know, particularly depending on your situation, you know, uh, uh, I'm fortunate that I have a situation where I have uh, my wife, who uh, who's much smarter than me, much more uh, articulate than me, much everything than me, put it that way. And she, uh, you know, we share the, the journey together. And without her, I may not have had this option. So I'm in a very fortunate situation. So I think that's really uh, what, what brought it together was just... Uh, that I, I, I could do that, put it that way, because I won't tell you, I won't kid just to like when I started out in the nonprofit sector, I was making peanuts. And when I met my wife, I was making peanuts. So that tells you a lot about her character as well, too, that she's the real deal. So that's a big part of it is, yeah, is money. Like, and I'm fortunate because I've done quite well and I've moved to the executive director level and, you know, I can pay my mortgage and I've lived a comfortable life. But the overall, the nonprofit sector, I don't think it's any secret. It doesn't pay like the private sector. So I think that's why for a lot of people, it's difficult. And that's why I, I see a lot of it when people are, say, midway through their career, like, say, you know, in that 35 to 45 year range, uh, and they've been doing well in their career, but they're looking for something more. Uh, this is my theory. I can't, I, you know, I can't back this up with some sort of a study or something. But I think a lot of those people have achieved 
the financial, the security, the career, which are things to be very proud of and, and you know, noble work and, and good thing, but they're looking for something that's quite maybe missing a little bit. So they reach out for more. And so that's what I see a lot of our volunteers doing, just looking for that little bit more and trying to find that little piece. Uh, for me, I gave up a little bit maybe on the financial side, but again, on the, the experiences and, and the, you know, the opportunity to meet so many people and just do so many fun things. Like when you, when you work in the community, like I do, it's just some of the things you do, you're just standing there, you know, like when you're standing at a jet practice, hanging out with the jets and you're like, well, this is kind of cool. Or if you're throwing a pass at a bomber practice or, you know, meeting a celebrity or whatever, those kind of things as you're doing a dream and all that kind of stuff. We do things that uh, are just fun sometimes. And then ultimately, again, bring it back to what it's all about, helping, helping people. It's a pretty nice little uh, combination. I, I often have conversations like this with a friend of mine and we're both um, business owners and we talk about, you know, what is a rich life? And um, so much of what you're describing, the path you chose is what we're really trying to catch up on and trying to figure out how to feel that that um, wealth of being connected to the community and giving back and doing those things. So the, this this podcast is me trying to um, uh, feel a fraction of, of what you feel and, and, and connected to the community. So thank you so much for doing what you do. Um, Another thing I want to say and highlight for our listeners is, for me, when I look at um, an organization that, that's helping the community, I want to look at how efficient they are with giving. Um, then I know the resources I'm giving them, they're going to leverage that and have more impact for the resources I give. And, and you sound like uh, 100% the real deal, and so is the Dream Factory. So I, I really want to ask you, how can the community help you and the Dream Factory? For those listening and for our social media followers that we'll get this message out to, what's going to be most impactful for, for Dream Factory? I guess money and, and volunteering and otherwise. Absolutely, Steve. Well, you know, it's, I don't mean to be crass in my answer, but you answered it, money. Money is the number one thing for sure. Uh, you know, uh, if you send a, a family to... Uh, to Hawaii for their dream or get a kid a jet ski. These things aren't, uh, we have to buy these things. They're not, you know, just sitting there waiting for us to come getting. So money, absolutely. Uh, there's also so many other ways, like money is not necessarily cutting a check. It's not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, doing an online credit card a donation. We do take all those, of course, but it can also be doing something in your community. A lot of our dollars get raised by third parties. Uh, so an example I would give you uh, is we have this one fella, Dave Beakley, uh, who uh, does a third party event for us. And it's called uh, Deadlifts, Dreams of Deadlifts. And we uh, met with him one day and he's just an amazing fella. And he said, you know, there's some events down in the States where they raise money doing deadlifts. And I'm like, well, that's something I've never heard of before. So tell us more. And it's that, and you know, uh, and you know, you're talking to a lot of people in the community and fundraisers or some things like that. I'm sure when you hear a new idea, it's very exciting because a lot of them are rehashed ideas, but when you hear something fresh, it doesn't happen every day. And so he said, well, yeah, I think we could maybe try something here. And we were on board right at the first meeting. Uh, I've got a fellow in my office, Andrew, who's really good at putting together uh, 
the support materials, working with him and getting the word out and bringing another sponsor. So the two of them went to town on this. And this year, last year, it was a bit impacted by uh, uh, the pandemic, obviously. But the previous year, it raised, I think, over $30,000 in the end. And it was just so beautiful to see a different way to raise dollars. But the amazing thing, too, with the deadlifts, if you can picture all these uh, men and women who are these, you know, pretty strong people, like deadlifting, like I, I just think of deadlifting, my back goes out. So these people are deadlifters. It's pretty remarkable. And then we associate a dream with it. So then you'll see these big, tough deadlifters, and then this little kid who will just melt their hearts. And they come together and they raise money doing things like that. So there's all sorts of different ways. We have kids who walk in literally with a little envelope from their birthday party. They didn't get birthday gifts this year. Uh, they asked uh, that the gifts be uh, donations that they would then give to the Dream Factory. So wow. there's all sorts of different ways. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, being honest, money's the main thing. We always need volunteers right now because we're, uh, we're working virtually. We're not using quite as many volunteers. Everything's a little bit different, as we all know. But uh, yeah, all those kind of things. And just the spirit of coming out to if there's an event that does support the Dream Factory, come on out, give us a donation. You could do monthly donations. A lot of people, when they donate, it's kind of like it's hard to cut that big check or they don't know if they have it. But then if you want to donate 100 bucks a year and then, you know, you do it over 12 payments that automatically come out, it's a little bit easier, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think if anyone really wants to help and they're listening to this, they can feel free to just call me personally. My name, you know, Howard Cox at the Dream Factory. Just give me a call and I'll talk to them. And if we could find something for them to do, we will. If there's nothing right now, we'll, we'll just stay in contact and work on it. Howard, let's finish this off and really drive that point home. Um, let's tie those dollars to an experience. So if you can um, highlight one of your favorite dreams that you guys have fulfilled and let us know the cost of that dream. Okay. Uh, well, they really range. And I, 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 you know, I tell you what a favorite is. Boy, that's a tough question because each new one is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> but I can I'll give you a ballpark. Like basically... If you're looking at a dream for Disney, say for a family of four, roughly, uh, you're looking at about 12 grand for a dream like that. Uh, if you're looking at, say, sending a family over to uh, to uh, uh, Hawaii or something like that, you get up into that 20 grand range. Uh, so those are kind of our standard dreams. Uh, I'll give you an example of one uh, and try to connect the dollars to it. Uh, we actually had, and this one I, I just always, I, I sometimes go back to, I don't know. If if I have even remotely a favorite, there's just so many, it goes on and on. But we did one dream uh, about four years ago, and maybe it was because I was relatively new to the organization where we sent a kid uh, to meet Man U, uh, Manchester United Football Club. Mm, and amazing. So, yeah, it was amazing. And it was funny too, because I had just started and we we're sitting in the meeting and he, uh, his family was Portuguese and his dad wanted his dream was kind of hoping his kid was going to say to meet the Portuguese national team. But then the kid said, no, I want to meet the Manchester United team. Uh, and it was kind of a, you know, good natured fun that that's the one he picked. And, but I remember sitting in the meeting saying, well, that's an awesome dream. But also thinking in the back of my mind, how are we going to make that dream come true? But, you know, you don't want to say it at the time. And so then we ended up uh, 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 going out to the community and, um, uh, Mr. Gell, who's the coach of the, uh, of the uh, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting our soccer team right now, the uh, uh, 
Uh, Valor? Yeah, yeah, Valor. He at that point was uh, not with Valor, but he was uh, part of the Canadian National, uh, I was going to say football, but soccer association. And uh, he had had one of his players go over to Manchester United and uh, and work in their development programs. For those who don't know, the big uh, football clubs or soccer clubs in Europe, they have the big club, the actual club, and then they actually have two or three levels starting like at 14. They have their own development teams. Uh, like Beckham would have gone through all those levels before he joined the big club. And so uh, 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 Mr. Gale had somebody, one of his players over there uh, in the past. So he knew some of the coaches. So he contacted the coaches. They gave me a call back. And within an hour, uh, I, I'm not exaggerating, within an hour. So even to have the times worked out that that, that could time that we could connect that quick. Uh, we were talking with Manchester United and it all came together. And he went over and had amazing experience and met the club. And uh, and so, yeah, and so that one would be a bit more expensive because we're sending them to Europe. So I can't remember the exact number because it was four years ago, but, uh, and, and, you know, we don't send, you know, we don't fly first class and things like that, but we want to make sure these people are having a good experience, a safe experience, staying in a good hotel, uh, you know, all those kind of things, have some spending money, uh, could eat, uh, you know, uh, uh, some nice meals and things like that. Make it extra special, put it that way. So one like that would be, I think that one would have ran into the, you know, like the 25 range, if I remember right. So, so important. Howard, I really, really appreciate what you do and your time here today. This is Howard Cox helping kids get carried away with their dreams at the Dream Factory. Thanks, Howard. My pleasure. Thank you, Stu. Thank you so much for joining us on this Community Spotlight. If you're a volunteer or leader who knows of someone or is someone contributing in your community, we want to hear from you. Go to communityofbighearts.com and click the Nominate tab and let us know who they or you are. We look forward to speaking with you. Thank you again for tuning into the Community of Big Hearts.